A couple days ago, I got a phone call that comes roughly this time of year every year, and it's possibly one of my favorite phone calls of the year. It's from my mom. She calls and she says, what kind of pie you want this year? Because <laughs> in the Miller household, Thanksgiving is a month-long preparation. And uh, so I told her, obviously, I want apple and blueberry and pecan. Those are the right answers. I don't know how you mark your movement through time, what the landmarks in time are that kind of tell you where you are and when you are and where you're going. For some, I understand that it's like whatever sport happens to be pushing into postseason. For others, it's uh, your kid's school rhythm. But for me, often the way that I mark my place in time is by what great meal I'm looking forward to next, which means November is awesome. And I'm actually salivating right now as I talk to you, so I should move on before I start drooling on the stage. But of course, uh, we're moving toward Thanksgiving. Tis the season for all the holiday feels. And uh, while I know holidays can actually be really complicated and difficult for some, there's also this sentiment that wraps itself around gratitude in this season. And we thought we'd talk about that for a bit this year. Now, the thing about gratitude is this year, I'm not going to try to get you to feel any more gratitude than you feel right now. I'm not going to try to talk you into any feelings of thankfulness. I'm not going to try to get you to change your mind or have more positive thinking. I'm not going to try to get you to change your feelings at all. Rather, uh, I'm wanting encourage us, like ask us, invite us to practice gratitude. Like, forget about the feelings for a moment. I'm going to invite us to practice gratitude. And the way that I'm going to propose that we do that specifically is by building altars. And I, I'm going to explain this as we go here, but I'm, I'm actually quite specific and quite literal about this. I'm going to propose that we spend the month building altars. If you survey the scriptures, altar building happens all the time. It's often a sort of improvised response to an experience. Let me show you some of these examples. For example, there's a flood story in the Bible. I mean, you've heard of this flood story with Noah and the ark and the animals. It wouldn't have surprised ancient people that a community would tell a story of a flood because a bunch of these ancient communities told stories of floods. However, what would have surprised ancient people reading this story is that we're often those stories of floods end up being stories about the unrelenting unreliability of God or the unrelenting vengeance of God. This ends up being a story about the unrelenting mercy of God in the end. But that's probably another sermon for another day. But you, you know the story, right? There's uh, this warning to Noah that this flood's going to come and it's going to wipe out everything and he's going to build this ark and he's going to survive the flood by staying on the ark. And so you can imagine yourself being Noah and you watch the known world being obliterated. I mean, you see a catastrophe like you have never seen before. It's swallowing up everything around you. And yeah, you're on the ark, and you think you'll, you might be okay, but you have to imagine that when you see a catastrophe swallowing up everything around you, it's only natural to assume that it's going to swallow you up too. And so after days and days and days and days enduring a catastrophe that threatens to take out everything, including you, you're Noah, and you watch the clouds clear, and you see the dry land emerge, and then there's that moment when you step on dry ground again, and you, you find your footing again. And Noah's response to living through a catastrophe that threatened to swallow up everything, including him, but finding his feet on solid ground again, his response is here in Genesis chapter 8. Noah went out with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives, and every animal, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out of the ark by families, and then Noah built an altar to the Lord. You can imagine, right? Like he, he steps out of the ark on the dry ground and he has this feeling in his body that he's, 
going to be okay, that he's found his footing again. And then he looks around to the place where his feet met dry ground, and he sees some stones, and he gathers them up into a pile there, and he builds a sort of uh, improvised altar. This is his response to finding out that the catastrophe that might have swallowed him up didn't, and he found his feet on solid ground again. There's another character in Scripture who has a very different story. Uh, This man is named Abram. And Abram's living at a time and a place in the world where most human beings have this deeply rooted assumption that tomorrow will be the same as today, and the next generation's story will be the same as this generation's story, as if the whole story is some sort of big cosmic groundhog day. You know the movie? Right? Wake up another day, the same thing, the same pattern, the same rut. Not just another day, but another year, another decade, another generation. That This whole thing is sort of stuck in a redundant cycle. And then breaking out of that cycle, the voice of God speaks to Abram and, and calls Abram to leave father's house and land that he knows and to walk with God into a, a beautiful but unknown future. God speaks to Abram throughout this journey about promise and possibility. It might be that tomorrow is different than today. And the way that tomorrow might be different from today is that tomorrow might be more expansive. Your life may grow. Your story might actually get bigger. That might actually be what God wants to do with you. Like, for example, in Genesis 12, where we read this, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved on to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and invoked the name of the Lord. You can picture Abram, right? He's he's moving into new places, new experiences. He's being told about a new future, not just from him, but that'll flow through him into the generations after him. And so with all this promise and possibility and and this new unknown land that's going to be a part of it, he looks around and he finds some stones in that very place where all the promise and possibility is being spoken. And he builds a sort of improvised altar out of the raw materials of that place where he finds himself. Uh, Another story uh, where an altar shows up, Uh, this is not like Noah where catastrophe swallows up the whole world or Abram where all this promise and possibility is being called out of him. This is the story of a man named Jacob. And Jacob is a conniving little punk. And Jacob, if you know the story, he steals the blessing from his older brother. He betrays his father, takes advantage of his father's frailty. He basically like betrays his entire family. And then, to no surprise to any of the readers, finds himself on the run from the very thing that he has done. He finds himself a a sort of exile from his own original life, an exile from the place that he came from. And as you read the pages of Scripture, you can just feel what you might have felt sometimes when you've made some bad decisions, and so you find yourself far from home, and in that exile, you're certain that you're in an abandoned place. Like, of course, why would God have any reason to be close to the man who betrayed his father, who stole from his brother, and ran off with the family blessing? Why would God have any reason to move toward that person in any kind of favor or kindness? So it's, it's no surprise that he's surprised when he has a dream that reveals that God is, in fact, right there with him in this exile place. You might have heard of Jacob's ladder. This is the moment where Jacob lays his head down on a stone for a pillow, which seems like a terrible idea. He lays his head down on a stone, and he sleeps, and he has this vision of this sort of gateway opening between heaven and earth. And then when he awakens, he says, the Lord was in this place, and I didn't know it. And then that very uh, stone that he'd been sleeping on becomes a sort of improvised altar. You read it here in Genesis chapter 28. 
Jacob rose early in the morning and he took the stone that he had put under his head and he set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. In fact, if you read later in Jacob's story, you'll find out that God has Jacob come back to this very place and build a more proper altar in the place where he thought he was rightfully abandoned. And then he just bumped into the presence of God, where he bumped into the blessing of God. He bumped into the goodness of God. You see these altars all over scripture. So I want to offer a definition of an altar, because uh, we're going to build altars this month. And this is, this is Jay's definition, so it's completely fallible. Uh, but this is me trying to gather up the, the sense of what's happening in these stories and proposing that we might do something similar. An altar is a physical artifact, right? So it's not theoretical. It's not something that lives in the mind. It's in flesh and blood. It's in matter. It's made in the world. It's a physical artifact often built out of materials gathered from the place where a blessing occurred, like artifacts that come from the very place where the blessing occurred that through sacrifice translates that blessing into an act of gratitude to God. That's a lot of words. Let me say it one more time. An altar I'm proposing is a physical artifact, often built out of materials gathered from the place where a blessing occurred, that through sacrifice translates that blessing into an act of gratitude to God. Now, there's one bad word in that, like a foul word that might make some of us uncomfortable right now. The word is sacrifice. Let's talk about sacrifice for a moment. Because, of course, like most of the altars that would have been built, although it's not clear this is always the case, but most of the altars built are built so that sacrifices can then be burned on the altar and offered up to God, right? Now, I don't know about you, but if you've been raised in the same sort of package of religion that I've been raised in and a lot of us have been raised in, sacrifice is this, is this word that's kind of ugly and dark and it's wrapped up in ideas that we have this very um, demanding God who, especially out of response to our sin problem, requires that things die so that he can be appeased and that we can be okay with God, right? That, I think, can be the sort of caricature, but not, not far from the truth of how a lot of us have been taught to think about sacrifice. But there are a few problems with that understanding of sacrifice. Uh, first of all, for instance, in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the Old Testament, most of the sacrifices that are called for and that are enacted, most of the sacrifices don't have anything to do with a sin-guilt problem before God. If you don't believe me, just go read the book of Leviticus. Good luck. Uh, they, most of the sacrifices, they don't have to do with it. There is a category of sacrifice for sin and guilt, and then there's all these other ways that ancient people assume that sacrifice is the right maneuver. Like, for example, when something wonderful happens in your life, you offer a thanksgiving sacrifice. And the thanksgiving sacrifice means that you bring an animal to the altar, to the holy place, and there with the priest, you offer that animal up to God on the altar by burning it. Well, what's another word for putting an animal on fire? A grill, right? I'm not being facetious. This is actually what, read, read the, the code. I'm telling you, what happens in the Thanksgiving sacrifice is you bring the best animal you've got to the altar with the priest and with, with a sort of intense awareness that God is meeting you in this meal or in this act. You put that animal on the altar and you, you put it on the fire and then you eat it as a family. That's, that's actually the way a Thanksgiving sacrifice happens in the Old Testament. It, it's a way of saying, God, you have been good to us and of course, in the ancient mindset, the gods really are in some sense sort of up there. We understand that's not really true in a, in a geographic sense, right? But like the, the, the closest you get to that in an enacted way is to burn a thing on the altar so the, the smoke goes up and you say, God, thank you. And then you eat a feast. 
For a society that often didn't have the luxury of eating meat, in that moment, you eat a, a feast with meat, and you say thank you. So I, I just want to argue, the sacrifice thing doesn't have to be, um, doesn't have to be all uh, strange and dark and wrapped around fears of guilt. There's a lot of other stuff going on there. Uh, I think I've shared this story before, but I don't think I had pictures before. Uh, I go over to, to the Middle East uh, on a fairly regular basis, and I was over there in the West Bank, uh, in, a, in a little village called Taipei. And Taipei is uh, the site of a really good brewery, which is actually why we go there. Uh, but then there's also, and there's also uh, the ruins of a Byzantine church there that you can see. So let me show you the ruin here. So this is uh, an ancient, ancient, ancient church ground. And you can go there, uh, but then if you walk up the steps and you go underneath that doorway that you can see there with the window and the cross above it, if you go further up in, let me show you what you see. See those two chains that are hanging there in the doorway? And I don't know if you can notice, but the, the stones underneath the doorway are stained red. What's going on here? Well, this is a Byzantine ruin of an ancient church, but there is a, a Christian community today in the year 2019 that still worships in this town, and they trace their lineage back all the centuries to the same Christian community that gathered here. So these Palestinian Christians, they, uh, they, they gather as a church and they live out their Christian life together. And when something good happens, like for example, a girl in their church who'd been diagnosed with cancer but then was cured, well, then they, they throw a Thanksgiving sacrifice. They take the animal up there to that place, and they kill it, and they eat it, and they say, thank you, God. Now, the looks on your faces are exactly what I expect when you tell a story in the year 2019 about a church sacrificing an animal. I get that. But of course, most of us in the room, unless we're vegetarians, like participate in the sacrifice of animals all the time. We've just outsourced it to industrial means. And then we say like a little prayer before dinner, but I think this community just has a more sort of visceral connection to the idea that, we, that some life is being given so that we can sustain ourselves. And that is an echo of the faithfulness of God that we have known. And so through this act, we say thank you to God and we sacrifice. Or how about we take it away from, from animals dying for a second, because this will be easier for some of us. How about this? If, if you're seated in a room where all the chairs are taken and your butt's taking one of the chairs, and somebody walks in, and it's perhaps a person that you want to honor. Maybe you want to honor them because you respect them. Maybe you want to honor them because they're older than you, and they need to share more than you. Maybe you want to honor them because you love them. Maybe it's a partner in your life, right? So all the chairs are taken, and they walk in. What might you do? Get up. You might sacrifice the chair, right? And by the way, if you think that I'm just kind of going along with this, this is very much in the thinking of a guy named Aquinas who says that sacrifice is, is uh, often just an act of appropriate honor. You give something up, some time, some energy, some good, you give something up as an act of honor. This is really at the heart of sacrifice, and I'm suggesting an altar is this physical, concrete, tangible thing that we create, and it also, through sacrifice, enacts our gratitude. And it might be a sacrifice of time, it might be a sacrifice of money, it might be a sacrifice of energy or some good, but sacrifice is often a part of this. But I think the point of an altar the gift of an altar, is that in a world where our brains have such a hard time processing all the data that we are receiving, the bad, the good, the indifferent, right? An altar is a physical, tangible artifact that helps us say to ourselves and to others, hey, you know that good thing that you experienced? You know that gift that you bumped into? You know that way that God surprised you? You know what? There's more where that came from. There's more where that came from. By externalizing it, by making it concrete and tangible, it's a way of getting our hands on it and telling our hearts that good thing that we bumped into, there's actually more where that came from. 
Now, notice, this doesn't silent any kind of protest or lament, right? Like, some of us have had sermons about gratitude and thankfulness, and the, the overriding message was, stop complaining. Get over it, right? Well, there's some stuff that we should all probably stop complaining about. There's some stuff we should all get over. There's other stuff that is deeply hurting in the world or in your life. And if you've been told to shut up about it or silence it, that's not healthy. That's not, that's not Christian. That's not biblical. That's just stupid, okay? But altar building doesn't mean that you, that you pretend that the hard things aren't hard anymore, or that you ignore the lament that's rising up, or that you stop protesting what's wrong. But it's possible that right alongside the lament and the protest and the wound, right alongside those things, we should also be building altars. Because at least for some of us, like we actually believe the good things, the good gifts, the kindness of God, there's more where that came from. And hearts that trust that tend to live brave and beautiful lives. Now, I've, uh, I've, I've known some altars in my life, some sort of like physical, tangible expressions in time or space are made with matter that have really been ways of building altar, ways of concretizing the good that I've experienced. Maybe some of this uh, will relate to you. Uh, for example, this is actually an altar that a friend built. But uh, I had this house that I bought in college. And I uh, had it for like 14 years, yeah. And uh, I bought it in college and found out I'm not a good homekeeper. Uh, there's a lot of horror stories, like the day that one of the ceiling panels started sagging in the TV room, and we went up to um, the back storage room in the upstairs where we found an old rusted out shower rod that we had had the thought to take out of the shower but not to throw away, apparently. So we had this rusty shower rod and we just wedged it in the couch cushions to hold up the ceiling. And like three years later, my dad was like, hey, should we fix that? I was like, yeah, probably. Okay, so there's a, lot of, there's a lot of irresponsibility that happened at the house. There's also a lot of good that happened at the house. And one of my friends, uh, he had moved in there, and he'd lived there for about three years. And he's like a really close friend of mine. And the thing about like, like living with your friends in your 20s is you watch each other growing up a lot, hopefully, right? Like, like, if you're not in your 20s anymore, just think about who you were the day you turned 20 and then who you were the day you turned 30. Think about that decade of exploration and, and, and frustration and confusion and growth. Think about all that, right? If you're in your 20s right now and you're a little confused, yep, that's, that's normal, okay? I'm serious, that's normal. It's not bad. It's part of the life stage, okay? But listen, we were living together in our 20s, and there's all this change that happens in our lives as we grow and figure things out, Right? And I'll never forget, he got married, so he moved out, which makes sense. So he got married and moved out. And then um, after he had moved out, I discovered that he had actually built an altar on the front steps of our house. I always parked in the back and came in through the back and left through the back. So I would go weeks at a time without seeing the front of my house. And I found out he had left an actual altar. He'd taken two stones that kind of fit together in an interesting way. He found them in the backyard. And he'd taken a Sharpie. And on the bottom, he wrote the dates where he lived. We called the house the manor. So he wrote the manor, and he wrote the dates that he lived there. And on top of the stone, he had simply written these words. It made me. Yeah, right? It made me. Like, who I am becoming, who I have become in this season, was tied into this place and these people. And I think it was important for him to do that for his own sake, to make an altar. But I also know it had a huge effect on me, right? And it helped me reflect on what I had seen in him and the good things that had grown in him. And it, also, it, it said to my heart, like, there's more where that comes from, right? Or how about this? I don't mean to be sappy, but uh, if I'm going to talk about bumping into the good things, I have to go back to my dog that I've told you about before. This was Jack the Golden Retriever. Uh, Jack was also a part of that house. Yeah, isn't he a sweet boy? 
Jack was 90 pounds of hair, slobber, and love. And when he died, I had this really intense sense that he'd been all gift. Uh, he was like an emotional support dog before I knew what that was, you know? And really sincerely, he saw me through some very difficult seasons, and he was the game changer in my life as I was working out some emotional health for myself, right? So when he died, um, I was wrestling with, what do I do with this gift that I've received? Like how, it, it wants out somehow. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not enough to think it or feel it. it. It needs to be externalized or manifested somehow. And so one of the things I did is I went and I uh, bought a roll on Amazon of the kind of chain that you can hang a dog tag on, right? The kind of like neck chain that you can hang a dog tag on. Uh, but I actually hung his, his tag on it. <laughs> this is actually his rabies tag, which I know is very strange. <laughs> Uh, and the chain broke recently, so I'm not wearing it right now. Um, don't worry, I'll get, I'll get more. Uh, but there are days um, when I know I'm fighting a battle. You ever have days when you wake up and you just know there's a lot to work through today? Maybe it's in your work, maybe it's in your family, maybe it's in your own emotional health or your spirituality, but there are days when I'll wake up and honestly it's like, it just feels like there's a lot to fight through today. And sometimes on those days, I will, I will pick this up, and it's like an altar that hangs around my neck, and I'll wear it. And I'll remind myself, all the good, all the gift that I experienced, there's more where that came from, right? It was telling me the truth about something larger than these 90 pounds of, of hair, sweat, and love, right? Uh, in another season of my life, I was um, experiencing some really serious financial distress, you ever just had the crap kicked out of you financially? It's just like all the things happen at the same time, right? The car breaks down and then the furnace breaks down and then maybe you lose a job or maybe like somebody else is really in need and you're trying to help them or you forgot that that's the month when you have to renew your, your license on your car or whatever, right? Like all the stuff stacks up. I was in a season of financial distress and I could just feel it like eating away and slowly what was happening in my heart was that my heart was becoming convinced that the anxiety I was feeling was deep, well, like the deepest truth, right? And so in that season, I just began this really simple practice of a gratitude journal every night. Because I, I could feel that like, my heart was getting disconnected from deepest reality. Right? And so most nights, I, it wasn't it wouldn't have to be exhaustive. It wasn't poetic. Some nights, it was just bullet points. right? But I, I, I realized like, there's something important about concretizing, externalizing, making tangible the good parts of my day, because I'm feeling most in touch with the difficult parts of my day. And even that gratitude journal became like an altar. It's concrete, and it was the experiences of the day that were the artifacts of the raw materials that I used to build that little altar, right? Or one more uh, altar that I've, I've known in my life, which is recent. Uh, my, my grandfather, my dad's dad, passed away uh, earlier this year, and he died in the winter, and we waited till the summer uh, to say our farewell uh, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, Grandpa would have just like been rolling in his grave if we'd brought him into a church for a funeral, I think. <laughs> Uh, and because he was a, a man who grew up on the shore of Lake Erie and just loved, loved, loved the Great Lakes. Like, he used to regale me for hours with stories of obscure boats that, like, had been on Lake Erie, like shipping vessels, and he'd, like, he'd tell me about how the hole that was engineered on this one was different than any hole that had ever been engineered on a Great Lakes ship before, and he would somehow stretch that into two hours, you know? But as a family, it made sense that we would, um, we would go to that physical place uh, where Grandpa's life had really come from. And so we chartered a big old boat, and we went out on Lake Erie, and we landed at a buoy that's sort of permanent there on the water. And that's where we uh, tossed his ashes out there on the water, and we stood there on the boat together, and we told lots of stories. And you could feel it was sort of an altar in time that we were making, right? 
But the other thing about my grandpa is he liked really, really, really terrible bourbon, like cheap, 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 cheap bourbon. And then one of his sons-in-law talked him into like slightly not as bad bourbon, <laughs> which is Evan Williams. So I worked with a buddy of mine and I, uh, a buddy who works in, in the industry, and I got, I got my hands on 100 of these bottles of Evan Williams. Uh, by the way, if you're listening on the podcast, it's like an airplane-sized bottle. <laughs> and uh, so, so the whole family had these, these little sort of shots of Evan Williams, and we stood out there on the boat with the, uh, the engine cut. And uh, before we tossed the ashes into the water, we told stories about him, and then we all made a toast to Grandpa with his favorite bourbon. And this, too, I'm suggesting is a kind of altar building in time, right? There's, there's some artifact from his life, something that he loved. We're out there on the lake, which he loved, the waters that meant so much to him. And it's altar building to just stop and name the gift that we have run into. Name the way that God has bumped into us in the world and given us something perhaps that we didn't deserve, but we're so thankful for. Now, um, as a church, one of our mantras is practices, not performances. And I actually want to observe that as our church grows in number, um, I think it can be easy to lose the focus on this because large groups of people, the one thing we're really good at is spectating, right? Like showing up to see a performance. But in our heart from the beginning as a church has been practices, not performances. Now, first of all, this comes from the idea that we don't think you need to be performative about your faith. You don't have to prove anything to us, okay? If you walk in here and it's one of those days where you're not sure you believe in God or you're not proud of the actions that you've lived out that week, like you don't have to perform something different for this community because we don't think that our community or that our faith is founded on performing anything. So that's like the good news in this. But then the point isn't great, so now we can all be spectators. The point is, if you don't have to perform anything, then you're free to practice and fail and practice and fail. But like, let's actually get our hands, our bodies, our lives, our hours, our energies involved in following Jesus and growing in grace and peace. And so this is why like this month I'm proposing not that I try to get you to think differently about like the good things that have happened to you. I want you to practice a little bit, and I will too. There's a writer named Barbara Brown Taylor, who by the way, read everything she's written. Uh, she's a retired Episcopal priest and a fantastic writer and preacher. And she wrote a book called An Altar in the World. And in that book, she says this, in a world of too much information about almost everything, bodily practices can provide great relief to make bread or love, to dig in the earth, to feed an animal or cook for a stranger. These activities require no extensive commentary, no lucid theology. All they require is someone willing to bend, reach, chop, stir. In a world where faith is often construed as a way of thinking, bodily practices remind the willing that faith is a way of life. So I'm proposing that for the month of November, we adopt a community practice, which is simply this. Let's all build an altar. If you're going to go at this, uh, let me propose some questions that would help you think about how you might build an altar this month. You could ask yourself, where and how have I encountered some generosity, some gift? Where have you bumped into the kindness of your God? It might be recent. It might be over a long season. It might be that there was a whole era of your life that was shaped by some gift or some generosity. But maybe start there. Where have, have I encountered that, right? Then you could ask, what materials or artifacts are associated with that experience? Are there physical objects? Are there words? Are there recipes? Are there meals? Are there, are there clothing? Is there something associated with that experience? Then you could ask, how could I make an altar in time or space with those materials or artifacts? What could I do with that? Will you hang something on the wall? Will you take a picture of something and, and, 
and have it printed and put it in front of you so you see it every day? And then lastly, is there any way of making this a sacrifice? Could you spend some time, some money, some energy? Could you spend something in the act as a, as a way of honoring the gift and the giver by creating an altar of some sort? I suspect some of us are going to create altars like in physical space. Like we might actually take some, uh, some materials. We might uh, turn a corner of our house into an altar. Um, I just saw, Pam, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, like, to tell a little of your story. Pam, who's singing for us today, Pam showed me, she already got after it. She was here Thursday. And she built this beautiful uh, little altar on a table in her home. And it has um, pictures and artifacts of the places and the people where she has most bumped into the kindness of God. And so it's like right there for her. And she can see it on a Monday morning or on a Friday night. Uh, some of us are going to um, perhaps build altars by creating a wearable. Like I made my little, my little wearable of, of Jackie Boy's tag, right? Uh, some of us uh, perhaps will find that a tattoo is an appropriate altar that we'll carry around on our bodies. I mean, if you think about the kind of things that people get tattooed with, um, often those are altars of some sort, right? The name of a loved one or an experience or a season that you were a part of, right? Um, by the way, I won't tell too much of their story because it's theirs to tell, but I know there are at least two people that have a Stop and Study Church logo on their body, which I think is their way of saying that this family that we are growing into together is one of the places where they have bumped into the generosity of God, the kindness, right? Uh, some of us, I think it might be a meal, like a, like a sacred meal, an intentional meal. Perhaps that the components of that meal, the elements, will, will be reminders or indicators of the good that you encountered. Maybe it's um, a season of family that you're no longer in, but you never really said thank you for it. And maybe there is a way of eating together during that season that you want to return to, and that'll be kind of altered. Knowing South and City Church, some of us will probably throw a dance party, and that will be an altar in time, and your body will be the stones that build the altar, right? Uh, some of us, it might be a poem, just, just writing, finding words from that experience and fashioning them into something. It might be public, it might be private. But if you'd like to make it public, I want you to know that on November 21 and 24, which is our Thursday and Sunday gathering before Thanksgiving, we're going to do a little show and tell. That whole gathering is going to be about like, bringing the altar that you created and sharing it with this community somehow. Now, some of the altars we create may not be very portable. That's OK. You could take a picture of it. Or there'll be an opportunity for some of us to stand up and tell the story of the altars that we made. Uh, so that's November 21 and 24. And like, there won't be a big sermon that week. The, the sermon will be the altars that we have made, the physical, concrete ways that we have said thank you to God for the good that we bumped into. Uh, so that's November 21 and 24. But if you can't wait that long to share it with the family, uh, you could take a picture of it or tell the story of it on social media and use this hashtag, SBCCAlters. Please note, this word altar is two A's, no E. Got it? There's a different word altar. This is A-L-T-A-R-S. SBCCAlters. You could use that hashtag, and we'll be keeping track of that. If you'd like to go ahead and sort of share with your sisters and your brothers and the church at large what it is uh, that you've built to say thank you. Um, yeah, this is, this is like the whole challenge. This is kind of the whole, the whole point of uh, what we're saying right now. Like, let's build altars this month. Let's make it our practice as a family. Now, uh, one note, uh, which is these stones that I have been uh, building with. Uh, maybe you wondered uh, where Jay got the strange rubble. <laughs> yeah? Uh, well, this rubble is actually the rubble of Studebaker. These are um, old bricks and concrete that was busted up from the 110 buildings that have been 
torn down in the past couple of decades since Studebaker closed its doors. And of course, we're here meeting in one of the remnant buildings uh, from Studebaker. And I don't, I don't know how yet. Um, I did this so I could share it with you in the preaching this week. But I know that uh, one of the ways I, I need to build an altar in this season is for my experience of my city of South Bend. Because uh, having grown up proximate to South Bend, but not in South Bend, and then having landed in this city a decade and a half ago, um, I, f- I find my relationship to this city changing in really dramatic ways. And um, this church is a huge part of that, too. Uh, but when I was getting ready for this, I was talking with uh, Matt, my teammate, about materials we could use to build an altar on the stage. And he pointed out that we have access to some of this rubble. And I thought, like, that's an altar. <laughs> Like the broken pieces of a really painful um, economic past, um, a story that's even been used to kick South Bend and uh, it's probably a metaphor there, but I'm not quick enough to find it. <laughs> yeah, um, I knew I used to. I grew up driving by this very building and seeing the broken windows and. When I was younger and less informed, I, I thought that was the whole story, honestly. I was like, oh yeah, that's South Bend, you know? Growing up, it was kind of like, that's why I live in Granger. And that's an uncomfortable joke for some of us. Um, yeah, and then uh, the last few years in particular with the life of this church, I've had this privilege of discovering that this is not an abandoned place or a forgotten place or an exiled place. This is a place full of good and full of God. And we get to keep discovering that together. And so I thought today it'd be appropriate if we built an altar out of some of the rubble of South Bend's um, beautiful and then painful past. Because of course, like one of the gifts that we have is that as a family, we get to be a, a little part of the rebuilding, right? Whether it's transforming this physical space or whether it's being some small part of new life in our neighborhoods and our schools and the place that we call home. We should build altars. Because just when you think that all the goodness has been exhausted, you'll find out there's actually more where that came from. A writer in the New Testament in the book of James says it like this. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. Now the point of that, right, no variation, no shifting shadow. In other words, if this God gives good things, then there's more where that came from. Because he doesn't, he's not good on one day and bad on another day. He's not generous on one day and withholding on another day. If God has given you something good, and, he, and James says, there's no change in this God. That's what he has always been like. Well, then I'm saying there's more where that came from. So let's build altars for the good things that we've bumped into to say thanks to God. If you're able, will you stand to your feet? November 21 and 24, we'll do a little show and tell. We'd love to see the altars that, that we've built. If you're, uh, if you're impatient or you want to start sharing right now, use that hashtag, SBCCAltars. And let me just say this day, may you know the good that you have bumped into, and may you know that it has come from God. May you have the presence of mind to celebrate every good gift and to thank God who does not shift or vary like shadow, but has always been that good. When the heart wanders or wanders, may you speak to your own soul and say, this goodness that I have received, there's more where that came from. May we be a a family of gratitude and thanksgiving as we move toward the holiday this season. And may grace and peace be with you. Amen. Love you guys. See you soon.